Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. I suppose this is an example of first world problems, but there's one ordeal that regular filmgoers are all too familiar with, and that's going into yet another heavily publicised event movie, knowing deep down in your heart that it's going to let you down. This despite the king's ransom spent on taking as much risk out of the experience as is humanly possible. The title includes at least one familiar element, the trailer tells you pretty much the entire plot. It stars people who every social media influencer agrees are still popular. And yet somehow you still have low expectations. Back when this was a relatively new phenomenon, around the time of George Lucas's dreary Star Wars prequels maybe, some wag coined the expression anticipointment, meaning any letdown is pretty much baked into the project and what were you expecting anyway? Will I ever see you again? What does it hard to tell you? Are you sure about this? Trusting our fate to a boy we hardly know? Anakin Skywalker, meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. Smart people avoid anticipointment by simply not going to any of them. Any familiar title followed by a Roman numeral at any rate, or by a colon followed by more title. But over the years, the number of letdowns has increased, particularly during the holiday season. Blockbusters have become so expensive to make and sell, the latest Indiana Jones movie by all accounts cost well over $300 million, and that doesn't include marketing costs. Now the only hope of getting any of it back is to stuff the film with attractive elements, like the world's biggest Christmas stocking. I don't believe in magic, but a few times in my life, I've seen things. Things I can't explain. Well, in a minute, we'll look at how Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, arguably the lamest title in the franchise so far, got on after a surprisingly warm reaction at the Cannes Film Festival. And we'll look at a couple of films that fished for audiences the cheaper and more old fashioned way. A great is coming up to the line, he's producing some terrific form here now. The Last Rider is a sports documentary about one of the most famous endings to the most famous cycling event in the world, the Tour de France. Everyone loves cycling right now, don't they? I remember screaming my head off at home on the couch with the kids. If that's all I did for that tour, 
That would have been good. I got into the old jersey, man. That felt so good. And another French event, the annual French Film Festival, provides one of their popular Gallic feel-good movies. Though for the non-French audience, country cabaret offers a few questions. Is traditional cabaret still a thing in France? How much of the phrase, based on real life, should we take with a grain of salt? And what's Kiwi singer Jin Wigmore doing in such a French comedy? It's a All these questions and more will be answered, I hope, by the end of the show. But before that, I felt obliged to check out a couple of films that came out last week. Pixar's latest Elemental and an R-rated comedy that seemed firmly on the wrong side of history. No hard feelings. He volunteers at the animal shelter. Hi. Mind if I touch your wiener? What? Your dog. How about I give you a ride home? Um, this isn't the way to my house. It's a shortcut. You're my hostage. Yes, that is Jennifer Lawrence, apparently grooming an inappropriately young Andrew Bath Feldman. But no, it's not quite as bad as I was dreading. Unlike Elemental, which, like so many recent animated features from Pixar and Disney, is a bit of a fizzer. Meet the residents of Element City. Air usually has their head in the clouds. Oh, my new jacket! Earth can be a little seedy. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing weird going on here. Uh, Just a little pruning. No complaints about the animation, which, as always, is state-of-the-art. Almost overpoweringly so at times. Every frame seems jam-packed with stuff aimed at satisfying the eye and the hope that you won't notice there's not much there for any of the other senses. Water is always getting into something. Fire? As ordered, we run a little hot. In the world of Elemental, there are four types of characters, all linked to the ancient elements, earth, water, fire and air. They may live together in a big city, but they keep to their own neighbourhoods. But what happens when two Elementals fall in love, you ask? In this case, Ember the Fire Girl and Wade the Water Boy. This shop is dream of our family. Someday it'll all be yours. But we all live by one simple rule. Elements cannot mix. Are we asking that? Because it's soon clear that we're in the presence of a rather laboured allegory. One about race, neighbourhoods, valuable life lessons with a big obvious moral at the end. So you've never left Firetown? Sorry, buddy. Elements don't mix. Plus, my dad would boil you alive. Why does anyone get to tell you what you can do in your life? And if there's one thing a young audience doesn't want during the school holidays, it's life lessons, particularly ones laid on with a trowel like Elemental. This is not what we expect from Pixar, whose genius in the past was storytelling that allowed the audience to find its own meanings. Frankly, a good story doesn't need any explanation. I've been trying to fill my father's shoes, but I never once asked what I wanted to do. With no claim to any sort of valuable life lessons comes a film called No Hard Feelings. It's unashamedly a coarse R-rated sex comedy aimed at teenagers of all ages. Stop! 
Court order for asset seizure. So they're taking my car? You went radio silent on me. Is that what this is about? Buongiorno. That's my cousin. Gary, I swear to God, he's my cousin. Mm. He's my second cousin. There's something seriously wrong with you. Remember, 40-year-old virgin, bad neighbours, dirty grandpa and the rest. The only questions raised by no hard feelings are, one, Jennifer Lawrence decided to make her comeback in this, and two, who's writer-director Gene Stupnitsky? It sounds like a pseudonym. He's probably just nervous. Why don't you loosen him up? We can go skinny dipping. What about sharks? Men here. Jellyfish? Not the season. It's really the lack of lifeguards. Let's get in here right now. Okay. Actually, Stupnitsky turns out to have a better-than-average track record, including Cameron Diaz in Bad Teacher, Good Boys, which was a hilarious intermediate-school rom-com, and the successful American version of The Office. But No Hard Feelings seems a bridge too far. Look at this. Need a car? Date our son this summer and bring him out of his shell before college. In exchange, we'll give you a Buick Regal. Date is in quotes. It's got to be a joke, right? No, have you seen these helicopter parents? Jennifer Lawrence plays a no-hoper Uber driver who needs a car. She sees an ad from a rich couple offering one to a young woman who can, shall we say, introduce their terminally shy son Percy to the ways of the world. And because Maddie has no shame, she agrees to do it. I know, it sounds appalling. You know, we tried everything to bring him out of his shell. He doesn't come out of his room, he doesn't talk to girls, doesn't drink. So when you say date him, do you mean date him or date him? Yes. Date him. Date him hard. I'll date his brains out. Taking some of the sting out of it is the fact that Percy may look underage, but he is in fact 19. In many ways, it's a sort of reversal of the Emma Thompson movie, Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, but still a bit creepy. What you got down there? Something for me? (laughs) Why? You tried kidnapping me! You're 19, grow up! I wondered what it would be like these days if the roles were reversed with an ageing male roué seducing a very young, innocent girl. I know, me too. And then I started to wonder what it would be like with anyone other than Jennifer Lawrence playing Maddie. He'll have a Long Island iced tea. This is the worst iced tea I've ever had. One thing about me, I'm the baddest alive. Dance party. I don't know what to do. I just know my mom would have wanted me to save the house. I don't think it would work at all, but surprisingly, at least it surprised me, with her it works rather well. Jennifer's endearing klutziness, along with her undoubted appeal and comic chops, make it far better than a film called No Hard Feelings has any right to be. Come on, you're getting out of here. You don't belong here. Don't touch me! Get away from her! Stay. Oh, fuck! Unlike, I have to say, the latest and I believe last outing for Indiana Jones, The Dial of Destiny. You've taken your chances, made your mistakes, and now a final triumph. Indy! Give him hell, Indiana Jones! Well, I can't say I was more than a lukewarm fan of the Indiana Jones films, despite the undoubted talent of the three leading lights. Star Harrison Ford, director Steven Spielberg and producer George Lucas. Lucas was clearly the driving force, once again tapping into nostalgia for the old-fashioned kids' serials of the 40s and 50s that had inspired the first Star Wars movie. 
Indiana Jones himself was an old-fashioned adventurer travelling the world in search of famous treasures from comic book level history. Following the biblical Ark of the Covenant, the treasures of the Crusaders and the rest, now the MacGuffin on the menu is a time-travelling dial built by Greek inventor Archimedes. Don't move. Please get out of here. Stop! Sorry. Dr. Jones, get him. The first half hour of the movie features an astonishingly youthful Harrison Ford hunting down the dial before some Nazis get their hands on it. Ah, Nazis, where would Indiana Jones be without you? Hitler made mistakes, and with this, I will correct them all. You stole it. Then you stole it. And then I stole it. It's called capitalism. After a seemingly endless series of captures and escapes, Indiana and his buddy Basil Shaw get away with half a dial and go home. Thirty years later, Indiana, now a humble history professor, is about to take a grumpy retirement. He flees his farewell party and looks for a pub. I'm retiring. Well, in that case, what are we drinking? Same for the goddaughter. Which is where he meets an old acquaintance, the late Basil Shaw's daughter, and Indiana's goddaughter, Helena, played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Phoebe seems to be Disney's go-to trendy actor-stroke-writer these days. Dad told me you found something. On a train during the war. A dial that could change the course of history. Why are you chasing the thing that drove your father crazy? But in fact, the former Fleabag script doctoring services on the Dial of Destiny may not have been needed. The scriptwriting team was already pretty high-powered. Jez Butterworth is one of the most acclaimed writers on the English stage, and he and his brother John Henry are no slouches in the movie field either. Edge of Tomorrow, Get On Up and others. I miss the desert. I miss the sea. And co-writer David Kerp has kicked off more franchises than most, including the first Jurassic Park, Spider-Man and Mission Impossible. Which makes us wonder, why is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny a bit of a chore? I miss waking up every morning, wondering what wonderful adventure the new day will bring to us. It certainly misses the services of both Lucas and Spielberg, who are only semi-present as executive producers. Harrison Ford makes up for it to some extent, either de-aged at huge expense or playing something like his actual age. And his curmudgeonly charm certainly won over the fans at Cannes this year. Those days have come and gone. Perhaps. Perhaps not. But winning over ageing, sentimental film buffs is one thing. Winning over the younger multiplex crowd is something else again, and already blockbuster fans are howling in protest at what's been done to their Indiana Jones. And I've come to believe it's not so much what you believe. It's how hard you believe it. 
Well, I say there, Indiana. Most of the people shaking their fists at the new woke Jones weren't actually born when the original Raiders of the Lost Ark came out in 1981. And it's hard to know what they mean by woke in this case, other than perhaps it's got a woman in it, and 80-year-old Indiana himself is a little slower on his feet than he used to be. Well, duh, if they don't mind me stooping to their level. Who is this man? I'm her godfather. related. Get back! I can't say I go along with the argument Indiana Jones isn't as good as it used to be. Frankly, he never was, unless you were a hyperactive 11-year-old back in 1981 when all you wanted was non-stop action and a bare minimum of characterisation and plot getting in the way of hurtling rocks and runaway trains. Help me! Archimedes was fascinated by... What is displacement? This has got all that and more, including good use of the words water displacement and eureka. But what caused me, and I suspect quite a few audience members, to drift off occasionally was that it's not only Harrison Ford who's getting on a bit. So's the whole idea of Dick Daring chasing Nazis, rescuing damsels in distress, and stocking museums with stolen artefacts. The problem with this film isn't that it's woke, it's that it's often half asleep. But I've been looking for this all my life. Coincidentally, two very French stories have arrived in our cinemas this week. There's The Last Rider, a documentary about an American who took on that most French of sporting events, the Tour de France. To win the Tour de France was my dream. But nobody had any clue what I was going through. Physically and psychologically, trauma changes the person. And there's a true-life story of a rural entertainment called Country Cabaret, which opens with Farmer David being told that the family homestead is about to be foreclosed on. Je vais procéder à la vente de tous vos biens. Je vous laisse encore deux mois. Six, deux, quatre, deux. David is given two months to find the money, otherwise the banks take over the farm. So he heads to the bar with his rural buddy Fred to drown his sorrows and then crosses the road to the local cabaret. The star of the show is pole dancer extraordinaire, Bonnie Starlight. Qu'est-ce que tu peux faire en deux mois? Ah, je sais pas, euh, rien. Tu peux rien faire? Mesdames et messieurs, je vous demande d'accueillir la grande Bonnie Starlight. That's right, antique variety is still alive and well in La Belle France. Not just skimpily clad acrobats, but dancers, chanteurs, ventriloquists and conjurers. It seems every city has its own equivalent of the Folie Bergère. J'ai quelque chose à vous proposer. Ah bon bah, Vous travaillez dans quel domaine J'ai un élevage de vaches laitières. So why not out in the country, wonders David. It could be a money-making bonanza, particularly under the guidance of Bonnie Starlight. Bonnie takes some persuading, but finally agrees on the understanding that she's totally in charge and no funny business is expected. Ooh la la. 
je veux monter ce cabaret pour montrer que le Cantal n'est pas mort. Avec vous, je peux y arriver. Alors que les choses soient bien claires. Hein allez, allez. Je ne participe pas aux travaux de la ferme. Saucisson euh, Non, rarement au petit-déj pour moi. Deux, l'artistique, c'est moi. Et trois, je ne couche pas. Pardon. First job, of course, find some cut-price cabaret stars, like tap-dancing sisters who don't get on, a deaf conjurer, an elderly hypnotist with a tendency to put himself to sleep more often than his volunteers. Not to mention drag artist Dominique, whose specialty is impersonating French disco star Delida. J'ai cherché, on n'a pas d'autre. Ah, faut peut-être se demander pourquoi. Vous êtes le sous de Delida Eh oui, Gigi, c'est moi elle est pas mal, la grande blonde. Faut vraiment que je te parle. Hein. As I say, it's very French. Even Bonnie Starlight's show-stopping finale to the tune Girl Gang by Kiwi Chanteur's Gin Wigmore. Gin fans may help make it a hit in New Zealand, but country cabaret probably doesn't need much help. A cross between country calendar and France has got talent. What's not to like? Et puis je suis fier de toi. Ah, gueule pas. Mais je t'engueule pas, je dis ce que je pense. Est-ce que vous êtes chaud pour le show Another popular obsession in New Zealand is sport, of course, and The Last Rider retells the story of the most famous finish in the history of cycling event the Tour de France. It featured the first American to ever gain the fabled yellow jersey, Greg LeMond. When I started cycling, Americans could never compete against the Europeans. For me, it was like, oh my gosh, that was my dream. As Greg tells it, cycling was entirely the province of French and Italian teams until the late 1970s. So when Greg arrived in Europe, was signed up by a big pro team and started winning events, it was already history making. The first American ever to pull on a winner's yellow jersey. That was the most magical thing I've ever experienced. He won his first Tour de France against serious competition, including from his own teammates. And then tragedy struck. He was on holiday in America, where he was accidentally shot on a hunting expedition. We were scheduled to go back to Europe. The phone rang, and they said my husband had been shot. Bicycle racer Greg Lamont was hit by a shotgun blast while hunting in Sacramento. The damage was devastating, not just to Greg himself, who nearly died, but to the whole family, all affected in different ways by the accident. And with Greg's body severely impaired, it seemed his cycling career, and for him, his whole life, was essentially over. They have 45 pellets throughout my body, one pressing right on the main artery. The cardiologist said, I don't know how you survived this. Hundredth of a millimeter more, you'd be dead. But they don't make movies about sports stars whose whole life is essentially over. And The Last Rider is about him getting back on that bike, determined to compete in the 1989 Tour de France come hell or high water. One thing Tour de France newbies have to learn is how it works, the mix of actual races and time trials, how it's all about the team's success rather than the individual, even if, at the end, the winner's name is all people remember. I just was like, together, we can do anything we have to do. I do not quit, <laughs> even though I want to. Part of that resilience has been Kathy. She was truly the foundation that kept me going. 
The other thing we learn is just how competitive it is. French stars like Laurent Fignon and Bernard Hinault make the Australian cricket team look like a primary school first eleven. For them, it's about winning and they don't care how they do it. The battle between a Frenchman, Laurent Fignon, and an American, Greg LeMond. There's so much pressure, so much tension in the air. Fignon picking on Greg, he wasn't going to take it. Greg punched back. The entire second half of the movie is devoted to the 1989 Tour de France and it's often covered second by second. Indeed, the final event, Race 23 in Paris, comes down to seconds, eight to be precise. The Last Rider is expertly directed by Alex Holmes, who did such a great job on another arcane sports event, the yacht race documentary Maiden, and he keeps us on the edge of our seat throughout. You can see he's really suffering, Greg. He's got to empty everything he's got out himself. Greg LeBond is riding for his life. What lifts the best sports documentaries is the characters, Greg himself, his wife Kathy, and his colleagues who remember this event as the last great cycle race. The last rider doesn't even mention the name of the man who brought the sport crashing to its knees, fellow American Lance Armstrong. Cycling for him was this pure and good thing. It's going to be the most exciting end in the history of the Tour de France. This is going to be incredible. At the end, Greg LeMond is referred to unequivocally as the only American to ever win the Tour de France. Not only were Armstrong's victories removed from the record, so was he. It was a rare occasion where a nice guy came first and where anticipation didn't end in disappointment. And I'll certainly take that this week. Which brings this week's show to a close. I'm Simon Morris and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.